You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. We've been in 1 Corinthians for months now, and we are nearing the end of our series, United in Christ in 1 Corinthians. Um, And as we get... So the end of the book, chapter 15, is sort of a repeating lesson from the Apostle Paul about this theme of resurrection, resurrection life. And we, we learn that resurrection is essential to the gospel. It's essential to those who follow Jesus because Jesus was raised. You see, he, he was killed on a cross. He was put in a grave for three days. But after three days, his physical body rose or resurrected and he left the grave and eventually he ascended to heaven to be with the Father. So we who follow Jesus um, place a very high importance on this idea of resurrection, but we may also have a lot of questions about it, which Paul is addressing in this letter to the Christians in Corinth. So this morning it's going to be a, a fascinating, uh, a look at a fascinating chunk of, of scripture um, that we'll be diving into. 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 35 to 49. You're welcome to read along if you'd like in your Bibles or or behind us, behind me. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? You fool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another for the moon, another for the stars. In fact, one star differs from another in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown in a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, and the second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, he will also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Um, and we give thanks for it. Before we dive into the themes and the, the main parts of what Paul is describing, I want us to pay attention to the wisdom of Paul as he anticipates 
the Corinthian philosophy in his writing. He knows that they are a people who love to argue. And he knows what they love to argue about, that the Corinthians would believe that the body is only physical, that it is not spiritual, it is not glorious, but it is temporary and will pass away to dust. And so anticipating this, what does Paul do? He addresses their questions, right? He doesn't dismiss the doubter or, or, or push them aside or um, mock them, although he does say, you fool, but that's kind of just how he talked. Um, to us, that sounds harsh, but I don't think it was so bad. Um, but no, he invites them in to include them in his conversation on resurrection, and he does his best with illustrations and simplifying this very abstract concept in a way that they can understand. And I believe that we as readers are better for it as well, because as wonderful as the idea of resurrection sounds, I'm sure that we too have questions in our own minds. What kind of body are we going to have? How is this supposed to work when we're raised from the ground as, as Jesus was? What's it going to look like? So again, we thank God for, for this passage and what, what Paul describes in it as it addresses possibly some of our questions. Um, as I've prayed about this passage, I've had a song stuck in my head all week. Um, as, as metaphysical discussions often result in, I got a song stuck in my head, <laughs> which tells you a little bit about my uh, brain. But anyways, this, I used to listen quite a lot to um, David Crowder. Some of you have as well. In fact, we sing some Crowder songs here at the gate. Um, but when I was a teenager, there was a Crowder song, a foot stomper called I Am a Seed. And it goes a little something like this. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to read it. <laughs> um, I've been pushed down into the ground. Oh, how I've been trampled down. So many feet on top of me. I can't help but sink, sink, sink. Lord, I put my trust in thee. You won't turn your back on me. Oh, I am a seed. I am a seed. I've been pushed down into the ground, but I will rise up a tree. I won't stay long here in this earth. When you rain your love on me, Lord, rain your love on me. Oh, I am a seed. I am a seed. I've been pushed down into the ground, but I will rise up a tree. Now, this is taking me back a good decade or so, and I didn't know it at the time, but Crowder's song speaks to this metaphor that the Apostle Paul uses to teach us about resurrection life. That Christians are being prepared for new life in Christ when Jesus returns. Back in verse 26 from a few weeks ago, Jesus will beat the final enemy, which is death. And when that happens, we will rise up a tree. I really appreciate this metaphor because it helps us visualize, right? Are there any visual thinkers in the room? I'm not the only one. It helps us visualize what it might look like for us to be resurrected. And it also helps us grasp the idea of how God could possibly do that for us. And it's, it's also interesting because it's a way of looking at the natural world and, and allowing us to remember 
that when a seed grows into something, that this is a miracle which we take for granted all too often. And in considering that and applying it to resurrection life, maybe some of our doubts and concerns can be addressed and we can move forward in faith. So, it is March, but it is still very much uh, winter. Minus 21 feels like minus 23. Um, so I wanted to show you a, a photograph that I took when it was plus 29 or so uh, from my backyard. Um, you can see this is a sunflower, and it's not very bright on the screen, but it's nice. There's a, a hoverfly. That's what that little bug is. It's a hoverfly, and he's doing his, his very important work of pollinating the neighborhood, um, hanging around on this flower. Um, I wanted to have sunflowers in, in my yard for, for a couple of years for a couple of reasons. One is that we've got these flower beds, and then our windows in the house are pretty high. And so I thought, well, if we could plant something under the, the, the windows that would be tall enough, then when, that when we're inside, we'd have a nice you know, visual effect. We could see them from inside the house. So I wanted something tall. The other reason that I wanted sunflowers is because my backyard is an oven. It faces west, our house is beige, and we've got concrete slabs, so it's like 50 degrees in my backyard. So I, I couldn't think of anything that could possibly grow up in the flower beds, uh, but my simple mind thought of sunflowers because they've got the word sun in the name, I guess. And it's like, maybe they'll be happy there. I don't know, let's try it. Um, and lo and behold, hallelujah, we got sunflowers uh, last summer, and there they are. But I do regret not taking a full... Uh, photo of them because those flowers were taller than I was, right? Like they were um, eight feet high or so. Now, I want to ask you a question. In fact, you can raise your hand. If you believe me that that came from this, raise your hand if you believe <laughs> that that is actually this. It's one and the same. In fact, um, that's only half true because this isn't the same kind of sunflower seed. This is a bigger one, but the one I planted was like tiny. It's half this size. A very tiny seed resulted in that. Do you believe me or am I insane? <laughs> is this real? Does this happen? It does. We know that, right? Plants come from seeds. And if you didn't know it, then this is your first biology lesson, and I'm not a very good biology teacher. Um, but no, we, we understand and we agree that seeds grow into all kinds of things, including this kind of crazy example of an eight-foot flower. This is a miracle. It's one that we take for granted, but it's a miracle. And it happens billions of times, probably every day, around the world, and God makes this happen in nature. So why do we have such an issue with the possibility that God could also resurrect humanity to new and glorious life one day? If God can make that from this, why can't he make us into something also in his time? If we believe that God created the soil and this seed, and the sun, and, and the sunflower that comes from it, and the water, and everything else that's required 
for that to happen in nature, then could we also believe that God will come through on his promise to take our aging, dying bodies and one day make us into something glorious too? This is what Paul wants us to ponder with the metaphor of the seed. Yes, resurrection of the dead will be a miracle, but so is the sunflower in my backyard. And our God is limitlessly creative in his power to give life. Uh, returning to verse 42 to 44, so it, will, uh, so it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. So I read this list again because looking at the state of ourselves today, if we're honest, is like looking at a bunch of humble, tiny, somewhat powerless little seeds, right? We get the first half for sure. Dishonor, corruption, uh, weakness, the natural body, these are the things that we're used to. But in resurrection, these things are not the end, but more so at the beginning, right? The beginning. Our physical bodies, if we think of them like seeds, that means we are waiting for rebirth into something glorious at the restoration of creation through Jesus' return, as we were reading about with our kids. So this is what we look forward to. And we think of the song, I am a seed. But if that is true, what do we do while we wait for glory? We're still waiting, we are longing, and presently speaking, we are dying. Um, what does that mean in the meantime, while we wait? Well, to continue the seed metaphor, before a seed grows, or as a seed begins to grow, germination occurs, right? It goes from this, which is not actually alive, into something that is growing. And this is like salvation. Salvation which begins the process of new life in us, yes, in the future, but also today. I like thinking of it this way because this seed, it is filled with potential, but it's also utterly helpless to grow, to grow itself into anything other than what it is right now, right? It requires other things, other types of conditions, even super harsh conditions like my flower beds in my backyard. Um, but there are other things required, right? To start the process of germination. It needs soil, it needs sun, it needs water. And my sunflowers need my love and care. Um, trust me, I only gave them a tiny bit of love and care. Um, but no, the seed cannot grow itself. It needs something or someone to make the switch. And in the same sense, friends, we are utterly and completely subject to the grace of God who will save us and make us born again. All of the corruption, the dishonor, the weakness and death of a world that is marred by sin are replaced not by, they're, they're not replaced by our work and our doing. We don't plant ourselves to begin the growth. Those things are replaced by good things through God, through the goodness of God who freely gives 
his incorruption, his glory, his power, and his spiritual life. First Peter 1 describes it like this, resurrection. It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and kept an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded, not by our own power, but by God's power, through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So while we look forward to resurrection, to new life, to growing into something glorious by the power of God, first we must surrender to his grace to save us to make us alive with Jesus today. This is also referred to in Scripture quite simply as being born again, right? In John 3, Jesus calls it being born again, which confuses Nicodemus. But again, there's a metaphor there for something that we can't do for ourselves. We can't make ourselves born again. We're already born, and as far as we're concerned, we're dying. But Jesus says, you can be born again into the kingdom through God. So, if we are a seed, we need God to bring us to life. We need to be born again if we have any hope of resurrection. It's through Jesus, and that's why we place our hope in him. That's the first step. That's the germination that you know, takes a seed from just a seed into a plant. But as you might expect, I would next suggest that there's another part of the process before we are um, completed in glory. Right? There's something else that we have to do in this seed phase that the Lord wants for us. And that is that we use our time in this life to actually prepare for glory. Right? We receive God's grace freely and without any uh, act on our part other than faith and trust in him. But there is a call for us to express or work out our salvation in tangible ways. We call this uh, sanctification, right? And this is because while a seed is underground and germination starts, we don't see anything happening under the surface, but we know that it's growing, right? Or we hope it is. <laughs> we wait to see it sprout, but we know that things are happening and that seed is preparing to emerge into what it will be. And this is a critical part possibly the most important part of the growth of that plant is what it does before it actually emerges. So again, the, the term for this that we use in church is sanctification. Uh, that is being formed into a specific type of person, uh, the person of Jesus, right? We're formed into the likeness of Jesus. As it says in 2 Corinthians 3.17, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Or one of the definitions that we've shared before is from Robert Mulholland, which simply says the Christian progress is being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. So who are you being formed into as you wait for glory? 
Are you preparing for glory? Will you be ready to step into glory when it happens? Because if we are going to be raised into a glorious being with Christ at the perfect time, then I think we have to continue to grow into the likeness of him intentionally with the limited time that we have and imperfectly, but it's a process that we submit to. Yes, we are saved, but then we continue to work out our salvation in expressible ways. This is an ongoing, it's incredibly important, and often super difficult process. But it's what we're called to. And let me tell you, as we are formed into that likeness of Jesus, the Lord will offer us glimpses of the glory that we are yet to receive, and it is the best thing when we receive those. When we see the work of the Lord in our lives, very obviously, glimpses of the glory that is yet to come, God does this as we follow Jesus. Now, in, in our passage, today's main passage, Paul talks about other things, not just you know, the seed and, and the, the metaphor. Um, he also refers, in the second half, he refers to Adam quite a few times. And that's because in chapter 15, <clears throat> as Paul is referring to the restoration of creation, he's also overlaying the story of creation from Genesis, right? He's, he's taking us back to the very beginning as it was, to remind us of how, in the end, it will be. There's a couple reasons for this, but there's many. But today, for when he's talking about Adam, um, first he says that we are like Adam, we're we're made of dust. This comes from Genesis 2 and 3. Uh, In 2-7, then the Lord formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. That man makes a bad choice, and a chapter later, the Lord is expressing the consequences of sin. In 3.19, he says, You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. So you see, God used dust to make man, And in death, we literally return to dust. We decompose, our bodies go away. But physical death and decay don't present a problem for God. This is not a problem for God. In fact, it seems kind of convenient that we would return to the original ingredient that God used to create Adam for when he wants to restore all things and resurrect us. A new life. From dust to dust for this time, but raised from dust into glory in the future time. So Paul reminds us of Adam, and he talks about Adam being the first man, but then he also kind of mysteriously refers to the second Adam, and, and the second man, and the man from heaven, which of course is, is Jesus. Right? He's talking about Jesus himself. He's comparing Adam to Jesus the sinner to the Savior. And Paul reminds us that we are descendants of Adam, who, who Adam's the one who invited sin into creation, but our salvation in Christ will result in this hope that takes us from the current state of sinfulness into glory through Christ. 
Verse, verse 49 says, and just as we have been born, just as we have born the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. Thank God. Uh, Romans 5.17 also says, If by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, that's referring to Adam, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Christ Jesus? Notice the overflow of grace. That's like the salvation that we receive from God. And notice the righteousness that we reign in. That's like our sanctification that we are talking about. This all comes through the man, Jesus, his work in his life, his death on the cross, and then his resurrection after the three days. So all of our hope for this life and eternal life is found and completed in Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. Our glory is in Jesus. Our life, both today and forever, is because of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. So as we conclude today, I want to share with us that Jesus actually uses the same metaphor that Paul does. Paul's thoughts are apparently not original. It's from Jesus, if he knows this anyways. We can read Jesus saying similar things in John 12. Jesus is anticipating his crucifixion, the end of his life on earth in the physical body, and he's telling his friends, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It seems that Jesus, too, would sing along with the song, I am a seed, right? But the difference with Jesus singing that is that his death is the one that results in our life, right? When Jesus dies, his life is given for many. Jesus didn't love his life on this earth. He did not cling to it. In fact, he freely and willingly laid it down to give it away for us to receive, for our benefit. We did nothing to deserve it, but he gave it for us. The death of Jesus is our way to resurrection life. Now, because of this, we can read what Paul says in Romans 8, and we can agree with it together. Romans 8, 9 to 11 says that we, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 